0: Today, Pastor Michael's in the book of Mark, chapter 3, as he wraps up a three part message entitled Opinions and Reality. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, Here's Pastor Michael. Jesus is the
1: Messiah. Jesus is God the Son. And they have just called him a derisive, twisted term. That's the lowest of the low. It's about as low as you can hit somebody. And this is blasphemous. You see, this is where it sunk, you guys. And sometimes you hear people, how many of you get a little upset when you hear God's name taken in vain? How many of you take your fly swatter out and you try to hit that family member? Anyway, it's okay, you can admit it. <laughs> Confession's good for the soul. Anyway, can you imagine what they're saying? They say, He's possessed by the Lord of the flies the Lord of the dung, the God or gods of the pagans and the demon powers behind them. You know, if I was Jesus, I think that would have been the time to call fire down from heaven. James and John had been asking him, right? (laughs) Okay, boys. (laughs) Yeah, this is the place. Right over there. Man, he's so patient. And he called them to himself, verse 23. And he began, Mark 3, 23. He began speaking to them in parables. He said, how can Satan cast out Satan? Jesus uses a logical argument. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, that Satan roams about like a roaring lion seeking what? Someone to devour. And Jesus is saying, so are you saying, boys, that Satan is destroying his own kingdom? Are you saying that you believe that all these people who are being delivered from being demonized, Satan's doing all this? People might say, well, you know, maybe Jesus did it to cover who he really was. Yeah, but he didn't just do it once. He did it over and over again. Sometimes the sun was setting and he was still delivering people left and right. Satan wouldn't do that to his own kingdom. Jesus said, just, just pause Breathe a little bit, boys. I know you're upset. I know you're not getting as much press as you'd like right now. I know you feel that maybe your nation is in jeopardy, but just think about what you're thinking. Satan's not going to cast out Satan. Those people have become his property. They've been extensions of his kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And you think he's going to eradicate the power from his own kingdom? I don't think so. If you're a religious leader and maybe you've gotten caught up in the hysteria, wouldn't you begin to think a little bit? By the way, the the word parable, this will lead us into the parable of the sower in Mark 4 for next time. It's used three times in the Old Testament. And let me just give you one place where it's used. Just write this down. Psalm 78 verses 1 through 4 says, Listen, O my people, to my instruction." Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Psalm 78, 1 through 4. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. Parable is parabole in Greek, and it means to compare, or it is comparable to, It's sometimes defined as an earthly story with a spiritual point, but a parable is a comparison. It's to place one thing aside another to bring clarity, to help you understand a concept. And Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Here's where the parable pretty much starts. It says, If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. You could say, why would Satan cast out Satan? He says, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And all of us know that sometimes the devil's greatest work is in division. Look at verse 25, a house divided. If if Satan's up to anything, it's not to divide his own kingdom, it's to divide God's kingdom. If Satan's up to anything, it's to cause division in the church. It's to cause division in your marriage. It's to break break apart relationships that can be vital to the proclamation of the gospel. That's what he does. Tries to get a foot in the door, as it were. Takes advantage of situations when people allow the flesh to get the best of them. And then all of a sudden the kingdom of God is affected. Sometimes it happens in a family. And there's people who proclaim that they're Christians and their behavior doesn't reflect it. And something happens and something unbiblical happens and sometimes a a child watches it happen in a church or in a marriage. And then for years, they don't even go to church. You know why? Because they've been affected. Look, there's healing in Christ. We've all made our mistakes. Do you see how the devil works? It's not just one person that these things affect. It's many and sometimes it's even generations. Generations can... Embrace faithfulness demonstrated, or they can embrace sometimes what they see as hypocrisy. And this is what he does. If Satan has risen up against Satan, 26 against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. Look at verse 26 but he is finished. He won't do this. No one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property lest he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Let's go to Luke 11. Luke 11. Here's Jesus' words, and they are powerful. There were some exorcists that went around in the day, and they allegedly could cast out demons as well. They failed in the book of Acts. Some of you know that story, and the demon says... Uh, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And these so-called exorcists, sons of Sceva, get beat up. You remember that? Well, this is Luke 11, um, 17. He knew their thoughts, Luke eleven seventeen, and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if by Beelzebul, if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Logical argument. Consequently, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, reminds us of the plague of flies back in... Um, Egypt, it reminds us of the law written by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own homestead, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he, and Jesus is obviously stronger than Satan, that's why he's able to do what he does, attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. You see, this is the idea. Back to Mark, and we'll finish it up. Satan is not going to do this to his own kingdom, but deep down, these men must know that Jesus is God in the flesh, or at least the Messiah. Now look at verse 27, Mark 3. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder the pro- his property unless he first binds the strong man, then he will plunder his house. Truly, this is literally amen, I say to you. You could render it truly, truly. Listen closely, I say to you. All sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Now, before we get into one of the more difficult verses in the Bible, and we talk about a verse that keeps some people up at night, And makes them nervous. Let's talk about some good news. Verse twenty-eight says, "All sin shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter." And all God's people said, "Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Thank you. All sins are forgivable." Doesn't mean all sins are gonna be forgiven, but they're open to forgiveness if one will simply trust. In Jesus Christ, whatever sin you've committed, whatever, however far you think you've gone, it's forgivable. There's only one unforgivable sin, and here it comes. But whoever blaspheme, blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Now that is a fearful and chilling uh, verse, and it comes out of the mouth of Jesus. And the question becomes, what is this unforgivable sin that won't even be forgiven in this life or the life to come? I will tell you that many people have asked this question over the years. Many people have called Bible radio shows and said, I think I, I, think I committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Help me. And then the people on the Other side of the radio program have often said, if you are concerned that you've committed this sin, you haven't. This is a sin contextually, historically, that probably, and you'll have to wrestle with this some on your own, is limited to this particular time and audience who was watching his miracles right in front of them and knew better. In fact, they're the experts in the Bible, they know the Bible. They know what the Old Testament prophecies say the Messiah will do, including open eyes of the blind and unstop deaf ears and cause the lame to walk. They know he will bring deliverance and bring light where there was once darkness. The context has never been more important for a saying to find its true meaning. The critics of Jesus have watched God's grace freely given in the casting out of demons. Their offense is not that they have asked questions, nor is it that they did not understand. The disciples of Jesus will find themselves in that situation in the very next chapter. Least of all, the religious leaders unthinkably or ignorantly or unknowingly used hapless words constituting blasphemy or bad language. Their sin, and this is from Cranfield, is that in the presence of God's grace in action, they have not only rejected it, but ascribed it to the devil. They have, they have ascribed the works of heaven to hell. This is their fixed position. No wonder they will not find forgiveness. They are set on calling the Spirit's work the activity of Satan. It may be that Jesus means that they have not yet reached this point of no return, and that he is warning them against hardening their current attitude into a permanent stance. This is the sin that is before us. Jesus may be saying something like this You are on the verge of committing something from which you will never return. Do you want to be able to, to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses, the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two part message on Sola Scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology. And you can purchase that and listen to it, give it to a friend. Intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. That's what's available at walkintruth.com at the store, and there'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. Jesus will even say that even blasphemy spoken against the Son will be forgiven. And how many people take the name of Jesus in vain over and over in our world? It's a good thing the Bible says those will be forgiven. But blasphemy of the Holy Spirit here would be attributing the work of Almighty God to the work of Satan in full view of experiencing that work. I need to take you to one more place, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, look at verse 18. Matthew 12, verse 18. A prophecy from Isaiah 42. Behold, Matthew 12:18. my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. From Isaiah 42, verse one. And he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Matthew 12:19. He will not quarrel no, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off. He will not uh, beat up people who are already broken. A smoldering wick he will not put out. If, you're, if you feel like you're at the end and the, the light is dimming, he won't put it out, he won't blow it out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope, Matthew twelve twenty two. Then there was brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb or mute, and he healed him so that the dumb man spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and began to say, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? They're saying, is he the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. Any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Consequently, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is the idea. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Um, he talks about, he who is not, verse 30, with me is against me. Who do, he does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, 31, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven Whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, that's Jesus, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good or its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Now you know why Jesus talked the way he did sometimes to these people. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good. The evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And I say to you, that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it on the day of judgment, or in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned." Those are the words of Jesus, and the context is revealing, isn't it? It's in the light of the work of the Holy Spirit, the gracious work of the Spirit, being attributed to Satan. But Jesus' power is evident. Back to Mark, and we'll, I said we'll finish last time, huh? Uh, Mark 3. <laughs> you, say, you see, he said this because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. This was the ultimate blasphemy. Cranfield one more time. It's a matter of great importance pastorally that we can say with absolute confidence to anyone who is overwhelmed by the fear that he has committed this sin, that the fact that he is so troubled is itself a sure proof that he has not committed it. A person so insensitive to the Spirit that he attributes what is of God to demonic origin will not be conscious of having committed the ultimate transgression. Take a breath. If this has bothered you in the past, then you haven't committed it. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is probably limited to the historical context of these Pharisees. But you could say there is another arm of this, and the arm of this is the only unforgivable sin then, is to reject the Spirit's testimony of Jesus. The Spirit came to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit came to glorify the Son and point people to the Son. That's what he does. If you reject the work of the Holy Spirit, if you want to hang your hat on some lame excuse that other people are saying, then Jesus would also say that that is, you're not going to have forgiveness because you don't seek it. Now the family's been waiting in the wings, 31, and his mother and his brothers arrived. And standing outside, they sent word to him, and they called to him. Now it was so crowded that apparently they couldn't get in, but they had come, remember, This is where the context would point to. It it is his own inner family that is concerned about his mental state, and the multitude was sitting around him on the inside. And they said to him, "Behold, (laughs) have you ever said this to one of your friends when you were growing up? Hey, your mama, your mama's calling you. I don't know how they said it, you know. (laughs) Hey, Jesus, your your mom is outside." calling for you. Your brothers are out there too. They, they want you to come with them. Your brothers are outside there looking for you. And answering them, Jesus said, Who are my mother and my brothers? What? His mother, his, his dear mother, and his bros that he grew up with? What, what does he say now? Does he say it in light of what they're thinking or what they've come to do? That they, they, they mean well, right? If they've come to maybe try to rescue him from danger, they mean well. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm about kingdom business right now. Remember when he was 12 and the family realized he was missing and they went back and they found him in the temple and they said, what have you done? And he said, didn't you know I needed to be about my father's business, or didn't you know I was going to be in my father's house? He was distancing himself from his human family because his origins are from heaven. This is his priority, and so he says, "Who are my mother and my brothers? who Who's my family?" And looking about, and he's probably sitting with the twelve newly assigned apostles. This is an idea of a searching look, like he paused and looked them in the eyes. He looked about on those who were sitting around him and he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. Imagine being an apostle sitting there. Wow. I'm your family, Lord. Yeah. And he clarifies. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. In a Jewish setting where family was such a high priority, this had to be shocking. I don't think that he is dishonoring his family because Jesus would never do that, but I think he is saying there's a new family. This is why I came. I came to assemble a family in the kingdom of God. I came to assemble a body of Christ. And the ones that are part of that body are the ones who do the will of God. Jesus says, John 14 If you love me, then keep my commandments. And right now, his family doesn't believe in him. His brothers certainly don't believe in him, John 7, 4. But his apostles are being shaped. They're going to be, if you will, that new family. Family is very important. And it is essential to life. And in Hebrew culture, obviously, it's very important. But Jesus is saying, look, there's something new going on here. And my family is going to have to believe it as well. And his brothers did. James calls himself a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine saying that of your brother, I'm your bondservant? You know, most brothers won't even help each other with the laundry. (laughs) No, no, no. I did the dishes last night. (laughs) These brothers end up saying, I'm a bondservant. Whatever he says, that's what I'm going to do. Because he is something much bigger. Let me ask you, are you in his family? Is it your sole desire to do his will? You know, his will has become the delight of so many of you now. Amen? Amen? And, you know, we have some movements in our world today, and I would say that they're nothing less than cultic that tell people to leave their families and uh, disassociate themselves from siblings and moms and dads. That's absolutely wrong. That is not what is going on here. Family is to be honored and treasured. But my first priority, and this may shock some of you, It's not my family. It's God. In fact, I believe it's clear that when I love God, I will love my family better. I believe it's clear that when I have a relationship with Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit, that's how I will then love my wife as Christ loved the church. Amen? This is not an either-or thing here. This is when you get Heaven's priority is right, and God is truly number one in your life. Everything else is better. In fact, the greatest commandment is to love God with everything that you are, and then love what? Your neighbor as yourself. The Bible's not saying do one at the exclusion of the other, but the Bible is saying that the one is the priority, and the other will follow. In Luke's account, final verses. It came about that while he said these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you, this is Luke 11, 27, 28, the breast at which you nursed. And Jesus said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. What would you say to a radio listener right now who's not sure they're forgiven?
0: Well, one of the questions I always ask people who ask me these questions, I, I ask them, do you know where you're going when you leave this life? Do you know for sure? Do you have that assurance as to where you'll be at? And we are given two choices. We are either with God before his presence, or you are away from him. And when people say, well, I don't know. I think I'm a good person. I've done Mm. enough good things. Yes. And so that's where I take them to the 10 commandments. Do you think you followed all these? You don't even go to church. You don't worship God. You've already failed in the first four. And we're told it's like a link. You break one, you broke them all. Do you think by your own standards that you can get to heaven? And I get this look like, um, I, I don't know.
1: And you're affirming what the biblical record says. uh, There's no one righteous, no, not one. Exactly. Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's no one good, but God alone. So the whole good person syndrome is a misnomer. There are in God's eyes. And and here's why we think this Oscar, because we grade horizontally. We look at other humans and say, well, next to that person, I'm pretty good. But God's (laughs) gonna judge us by his holy law. Mm -hmm. And when you see that standard, that's when you know you need to run to a savior the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would encourage you, if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do it now. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Run to Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for my sin. I repent of it. I believe in your death on the cross for my sin as payment for my sin. I believe in your resurrection from the dead. And I'm going to trust in you and you alone right now for my salvation. I receive the gift by faith. It's It's by... grace through faith. It's a gift of God. Reach out to us through the website. We'd love to hear about your decision, and we'd love to help you in your next phase of the journey of walking with Jesus Christ.
0: Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.